So there's this awkward moment um, that most people experience at some point if you've ever gone along to a networking meeting and uh, the awkward moment happens when somebody approaches you and says, ah, nice to meet you, Robin. So what is it that you do? And this is the point where most people, you know, um, sort of recoil in fear because they really struggle to um, nail their their social pitch um, when they're trying to tell people what they do. And, and ultimately what we do is we end up getting, like, getting really flustered, talking about the weather and talking about how far we've traveled and things like that and never really get around to sort of chatting to the person about telling them about our, our fantastic business that we do that produces great results for our clients. So, you know, and we'll exchange business cards and then we'll, we'll still, let, still left wondering what the other person does. And then we get called to go and eat our breakfast or something and disappear off and then that's it. And the reality is that, um, you know, it, it, that what it comes down to is that we haven't identified um, our, our business model. And the business model is actually made up of three principal pieces, some of which you'll already be familiar with, others not so familiar with, uh, hence the reason why I'm doing this podcast episode today. You're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. For those who don't know me, my name's Robin Waits. I'm the founder of Fearless Business, which is a coaching practice for coaches, consultants, and freelancers, anybody really who runs a service client business. And I've been in business myself for 20 years, so I'm kind of sharing some, hopefully some of my expertise, uh, helping you not to make the same mistakes that I've been making for years, basically, um, or was making for years before I know what I know now. Anyway, I'm sure you're interested to know what the three things are which um, make up the components of a, a tip-top business. Like I said, some of them you already know, and I'm going to go through them one by one. And then, uh, you know, if, if anything intrigues you, if you want to know more about it, then just hit me up on Instagram. Uh, drop me an email, robin at robinwaite.com. Um, always happy to have a conversation and, and discuss these things and to see whether we can tailor what I'm talking about to your business, because that's the most important thing. You can sit and listen to this podcast, but actually what's going to get you the results is if you then put it into action. And sometimes that means having a much more personalized um, dis discussion and chat with somebody about your business. Anyway, right. The three things you're wondering what they are. So the three things are market niche. You'll all be familiar with that. The second one is product niche. And the third thing is called a pricing niche. Okay. And when you squash these all together, you end up with this business where you are perceived as the expert in between all of those three niches. Now, I'm going to start off with the market niche because this is the one which most people will be, you know, the most familiar with. So when you talk about a market niche, the immediate thing you think about is, oh, ideal client or avatar or that sort of thing. Now, one of the biggest bugbears that I have, have around sort of um, market niches is that you'll ask somebody, well, who's your niche? And they'll say SME stands for small, medium enterprises, right? Now, I don't know um, if you knew this, but there's 6 million businesses here in the UK. 
And out of those, all of those businesses, there are only a very small subset of them, which are L businesses, which stands for large. Okay. So 40,000 out of 60, uh, 6 million businesses in the UK are actually large businesses. So SME is not a target market. It's basically all of all of the businesses, okay? It's not specific enough. And then these same people wonder why they're struggling with marketing and they're constantly looking for innovative ways to attract, you know, new audiences or reach new audiences. You know, marketing's changed massively over the last 30 years, and it's mostly thanks to the internet. I'm not going to go on my usual rant about this at this point. You know, if you're familiar with this podcast, you'll have heard me talk about it before. You know, but when when Facebook was launched in 2003, you know, many of the apps that we take for granted today just weren't around then. And marketing looked quite different. There were far fewer businesses. And um, one of the common things which I hear these days is, oh, that platform, it just doesn't work for me. Facebook doesn't work for me or Instagram doesn't work for me or any of those sorts of things. The reality is, though, it's possibly just because you're looking in the wrong place. So the gurus and experts may be telling you to go and do Facebook ads, but actually your audience may not be hanging out on Facebook. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, most people are on Facebook, don't get me wrong. So it's normally a good place to start. But maybe your ideal client, if you have a really tight niche, could be on Instagram, they could be on Pinterest, they could be on Snapchat, they could be on TikTok, they could be on YouTube, they could be anywhere, any number of different places apart from Facebook. They may still go out banging the drum doing like in-person networking meetings. You know, you've got to really dial into where your ideal client is hanging out. One of the challenges, though, that and why people struggle to identify their market niche is purely through FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh, if I if I choose to focus on coaches and not all of the other hundreds of thousands of service type businesses that are out there, um, uh, well, then I'm not going to be able to help all of those other business owners. If I only work with beagle owners, um, then I'm not then I'm missing out on not being able to train all of the other types of dogs that are out there. But the reality is like when you stand up in a room and you say, I'm an expert in training dog, uh, dog owners, beagle owners, um, who do you think is going to stand up and listen in that room? Everybody who owns a beagle. And it doesn't matter if nobody else hears you. The thing that matters is the most important people hear you who are your ideal client. And you need to be as specific as you possibly can, okay? So that when you do that 60-second pitch and you say, hi, I'm Robin. I work with accountants to transform their businesses and increase their turnover from six figures to seven figures. All of the six-figure accountants' ears prick up and they listen to you, okay? So be super specific. The next of the niches, that's market niche. So the next of the niches that I talk about is the product niche. And this is my area, my superpower, my area of expertise. Well, all of them are, but really I love products and pricing. So um, the product niche is like this. And the mistake people make is that they try to be a, a jack of all trades. Okay. And when you're a jack of all trades, you're a master at none. So if you run a marketing business and you do uh, social media posting on all of the different channels. You do web design, you do copywriting, you do branding, you do, uh, um, uh, you know, leaflet design, you design brochures. If you do all of these different marketing activities, you know, you do paid advertising. Actually, what you're saying is I'm not an expert in any of those. And sometimes people hear that. And also when you try and deliver it, and if your skill sets are spread too thin, now all of a sudden you get a load of clients and you're trying to do all of these different activities. One, you're switching between all of those different activities, which has an overhead associated with it and lost energy. Two, then you may not be making enough money because you're trying to do, you're spreading yourself too thin. And you may think, oh, great, I'll hire somebody. 
But now you've got to hire a Facebook ad specialist, a social media specialist, a LinkedIn expert, a Twitter expert, an Instagram expert. You've got to hire a designer. You've got to see so now you've got to hire all of these different people to service each of those different functions. Okay. I'm a massive fan of the Henry Ford approach, you know, and, and his famous quote is you can have any color car you want so long as it's black. So what he was saying is like, I have one product. It is a black car. You're going to love it. Okay. And that meant that when he then pushed all of these, um, you know, Fords, uh, Model T Fords through his new production lines, they were all the same. It was a heavily systemized process uh, that meant he could produce good quality cars quicker than any of his competitors. And so it became the first production line car. And then obviously, as the production line process evolved and technologies around painting and things like that evolved, yes, you can have different colors and different models and different sized engines and all sorts of things like that. You know, so think about it another way. Um, let, let's think about, for example, um, VA services. So again, VAs quite commonly, virtual assistants quite commonly like try and do everything, email management, diary management. They'll do your social media scheduling for you. They'll do anything you ask them to, you know, posting books, what, it doesn't matter, whatever it is. Um, however, imagine if then this VA stands up and does her, his, I should say her, uh, his and hers, cause it could be a male VA as well. don't want to be caught out for being sexist here. That wouldn't be very fair, would it? But VAs are traditionally, in, it's a very female dominated industry. So that hence the reason why I went for that gender stereotype more for me. Um, I'll probably open up a whole can of worms there, but it's interesting to see if people are actually listening in and what their thoughts on that are. But anyway, so we take this VA, she stands up in front of our, our room full of people at a networking event. And she says, I help business coaches to, uh, position themselves on top 100 podcasts. So now within that one pitch, did you notice I dropped in the market niche there as well? So she works with business coaches specifically, but her product niche, right? She could probably do all of the other stuff, but her product niche is finding high quality podcasts to place her clients on so that they get clients and inquiries and it raises their profile. So that's a really tight product niche. And the beauty of that is when you focus on one specific product, one specific problem that you solve for your clients, you will do it better than anyone else that you're competing against and you will get better results and you will have more loyal clients who want to come back and book 10 more episodes and 10 more episodes and 10 more episodes each and every month, quarter and year, okay? You know, there's there's millions of people out there who do VA type work, millions of businesses who hire VAs, but there is only a tiny market niche and product niche of business coaches who want to get placed on, on podcasts, okay? So from that perspective, that product, because it's so good, can be reassuringly expensive, okay? And that's where we come on to, you know, you're not really selling a commodity at this point, albeit it feels like a bit of a factory because you're churning out podcast interviews, yes, for all these different people. However, because you've mastered it, you kind of, you don't sell it as a commodity, you sell it as a high value item. So we've had market niche, we've had the product niche, now we're going to move on to the pricing niche, okay? And this is, for me, this is where it becomes the most interesting. So, one of the things I like to, uh, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making, entrepreneurs, business owners making, is that when you ask them how they settle on their prices, they just say, oh, I looked at the competition, see what they were charging, and I charged something similar. 
Um, I mean, that's great. And it's a good indicator. It's a good place to start. But don't assume that the prices your competitors are charging is necessarily the right amount. So, you know, when you look at your competitors, somebody is going to be the cheapest. A lot of entrepreneurs that being the, see being the cheapest as being a way to attract lots of clients in. But again, you only have finite capacity within your business. So there's no point attracting loads and loads of clients because your capacity is going to get filled up. So being the cheapest in that respect isn't helpful. And you could go middle of the road. So these are the people who don't want to be perceived as the cheapest. They don't want to be perceived as the most expensive. Uh, so they'll sit somewhere in the middle. Um, but but actually, this is also making an assumption that being the most expensive is actually really going to put people off. Because from my expensive, I see, you know, if you look at any any niche, let's say there's 10 web designers in your local town, one of them will be the most expensive. And that's the third option. Now, typically, the one who is the most expensive has probably been around for the longest, knows what Robin knows about pricing. They've got 100 five-star Google reviews. They get tons of referrals um, and word of mouth. They work with high-end clients. And the clue there is they're the most expensive and yet they're still getting clients, okay? So we can't assume that just because we're we're expensive, we're not going to get clients because there's people out there proving us proving that theory wrong, okay? It's a poor assumption to make. So... It makes sense to like position yourself at the head of the market. Like, look, it's a niche in its own right. You know, if there were 10 web designers, 20 web designers, only one of them can be the most expensive. And being the most expensive is a is a pricing niche, and that's what makes you stick out. Okay. Leave the others to become like the the, the daydreamers thinking that they're gonna make a success of their business by being the cheapest or middle of the road. Okay. You will have a much easier ride. Uh, in your business journey, if you are the most expensive, there's quite a few mindset shifts which you have to go through in order to kind of position yourself as the most expensive. It's called learning how to articulate your value. Maybe I'll do a podcast episode specifically around that, around how you tell stories in order to build up your value, in order to uh, be proud of the results and outcomes which you generate for your clients, in shouting about the testimonials, uh, case studies and reviews which all of your clients leave for you. Um, because of the amazing work which you do for them. Okay. Now I, I talked about a, a couple of different um I've given a couple of different examples. I'm gonna go through some case studies now of uh they're, they're either clients which I've worked with or through um uh, partnerships which I've got or other organizations where I go in and I coach around product and pricing. Um, so they're they're personal examples, they may not be direct results of all of the coaching which I've given these people, but um, just to just to help you understand like what it is about having a market niche, a product niche and a price niche. OK, so I talked about the podcast VA. So where, you know, you can get a VA nowadays, um, you know, overseas that could be charging anything like five dollars an hour, even sometimes even less than that, believe it or not. Now, actually, that's good rates for where they're based, in, you know, in um, Malaysia, Indonesia or South Africa, wherever you're getting those um, from. But then you can have time for money VAs, you know, if in, in your own country, in the UK, the US, Europe, wherever, who are charging like, you know, $40 plus an hour. Um, and there are even more. And um, one of the things which you did, so the example I used earlier on was about creating like a 10 pack of podcast interviews. So working specifically for business coaches, you could go out and find 10 top 100 podcasts at those, you know, in the categories that 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 business coach could guest on they know that if they do a good job on that interview that that's going to ge- uh, generate some buzz some inquiries and will eventually generate some businesses and so actually working with this VA we ge- we created a podcast a 10 pack of podcast interviews 
and we sold some for two and a half thousand dollars. Now, by the time we systemized that business, it took on average just over an hour to for, to place each podcast. So if you work that out, that's two hundred and fifty dollars an hour, $250 an hour. That's more than 10 times what they were previously earning when they were charging time for money. So when they didn't have a a market niche, when they didn't have a product niche, and when they certainly didn't have a a pricing niche, you know, when you bring all of those three things together, you can 10x the amount you're charging because it it shows that you know your worth. Okay. The second um, example is uh, a uh, the dog training company I mentioned about, the Beagle owner, um, you know, the dog trainer for Beagle owners earlier on. Um, and where where most clients were charging, I don't know, anywhere from 50 up to 100 pounds for a consultation with a prospective, you know, dog training client when they were, when they didn't really have a, a market niche, I'll train any old dog, basically, didn't have a pricing niche, but they just wanted to get those consultations booked. Um, uh, this particular Beagle trainer, Beagle owner trainer, um, ended up with 9,000 people in her Facebook group. She was ma- so massively um, oversubscribed that she was able to charge hundreds of pounds per consultation because, again, she became this finite resource. She only had so much time to deliver X number of consultations each week, each month. And so she was able to charge a premium for them because the supply was there. So it's a really, another clear um, example of where market niche you know, dog trainer specializing in beagles, uh, product, a product niche. Well, that's kind of wrapped up within that, but actually it was focused around the consultation and what they got for that. So we, it wasn't just that initial meeting, but it was the reports afterwards, the follow-up and then their course of uh, training, you know, which they prescribed after that. And then pricing niche, they're in demand. So they can be one of the most expensive dog trainers out there. And then the final um, uh, example, which I always use is the accounting accountancy practice. Um, so again, most accounting practices typically charge by the hour or they may charge you a monthly subscription, but they've worked out that, you know, every, for the average small business, a tax return at the, you know, the annual returns are going to take X number of hours. So therefore I'll divide it by this much, not, you know, we'll charge them a hundred pounds a month or whatever it ends up to be. Now, um, this particular company specialized in, okay, market niche, um, working with, um, tech startups. So, uh, you know, apps and things like that, uh, SaaS platform, software as a service platforms, web apps. And their, their product niche was then um, doing R&D tax credit returns for these tech startups. So, um, you know, R&D stands for research and development. So they were doing tax credits um, applications for these companies. Now, most of these companies typically would charge... Um, uh, uh, sorry, the way they charged for it was actually as, as a percentage of the um, uh, the tax rebate which they managed to get. So uh, a million or two million pounds a year, you know, uh, tech startup may spend 250 or even half a million pounds or even a million pounds a year on um, on research and development, on developing their application. So you do the maths on that and all of a sudden, you know, when they were charging sort of 20% plus for doing an R&D tax claim, they could make tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds per R&D tax claim that they were submitting compared to the average accountant that was getting paid maybe a thousand or 1500 pounds a year for doing those annual tax returns. Okay. So they, they commanded this, um, this high pricing niche price tag because they were so good at what they did and their R&D tax credits rarely ever got challenged by um, HMRC or the government um, because because of what they did. So, you know, they were charging, you know, not just five or 10 times the average accounting client, you know, a lot more than that. 
So in summary, like hopefully what you've spotted there is that you need to nail your products niche, your market niche, and your pricing niche. And this isn't basically, it's not, a, most people see this as a pivot and they're afraid to do it because it's moving them away and discounting, like discounting. It's, it's kind of shifting them away from mass market into this really tight, like really specific market, which they're selling into just maybe a few hundred or even a few thousand people who need this specific product. Okay. Um, all I'm suggesting is that you take what you're doing already. You probably already know who you love working with, okay? Who you get the best results for. Which of your products are the most profitable within your business? Which products have the least friction when you try and sell them? All of those questions will dictate your market niche, your product niche, and your pricing niche. Listen to that. Be super specific with each one of those and drill down into them. And like I said, if you if you want to know more about this, like please do drop me an email, robin at robinweight.com. I'm always open to have conversations about this because you may understand the theory of it. You may struggle to apply this to your business. So if you want to apply this to your business, just hit me up. We'll have a conversation. I'll help you like build out a, a niching strategy specifically to your business. Uh, another thing which you can do as well, if you're interested to know more, please go and get hold of a copy of Take Your Shot, which is my latest book. You can do that by heading on over to fearless.biz forward slash TYS, take your shot. So fearless.biz forward slash TYS, or just go to the fearless.biz website, hit the resources tab, and you'll find a link in there. Apply for a copy of the book. To anybody in the UK, I'll send you a signed copy of it personally. Uh, If you're overseas, it's a PDF. Or um, if you uh, give me an ethical bribe, I'll be more than happy to cover the cost of um, postage if you make sure that you share it on social afterwards. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast uh, episode. Don't forget to um, leave a review on iTunes. Um, We hugely appreciate it. It just helps other people to find the podcast. Uh, And I will catch up with you for the next episode. Mm -hmm.